the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. August the uh, 3rd would be the date, five minutes after five on uh, your basic Tuesday. Hello and welcome. Good to have you with us for another edition of Lifeline. Craig Roberts in your shell-like ears, spending some time as you are headed toward uh, hither and yon. And if you head up to yon, by the way, careful. Traffic sometimes can be brutal. Hither is not so bad. Whatever you might be up to on this uh, Tuesday evening, delighted to uh, spend some time with you. Got a full uh, full board tonight, as they say, a detailed discussion coming up a little bit later on on a much controversial issue. The election of 2020, even prior to that, there has been so much give and take in relationship to freedom of speech, controls on speech when people get crazy, who on what platform should hold responsibility for controlling that speech, if it should be controlled at all. Some have likened the Internet and uh, platforms like uh, Instagram, Facebook at all as sort of, uh, you know, a combination of uh, um, telephone and the newspaper. Maybe perhaps better put, they are both and neither. So we'll talk about this tonight and the whole broader issue of uh, should there be censorship and if so, the question that always troubles me is, okay, who gets to make that call? Who gets to officially declare what's legitimate and what isn't? Well, our good friend Bob Zadek, who, by the way, hosts the longest-running libertarian talk show in America, will join us on the program tonight as we um, riddle through many of these uh, puzzles. We'll get to that conversation regarding everything from First Amendment rights, Section 230, Facebook, and Twitter et al. coming up a little bit later on in tonight's program. We lead off with yet another disturbing story in relationship to... Speaking of censorship, in one case, uh, the question of whether or not it should be, in the first case we discussed tonight, oh, clearly a case of that it should. (laughs) And certainly the notion that, you know, every parent um, in most states has a legal right to view the learning material that their student, their child will be exposed to. And, And why not? I mean, it's the parents who are paying for the education through their taxes, It is their children, after all. And shouldn't a parent ultimately be able to say what they do and do not want their son or daughter exposed to as a minor child? And yet, and yet, in a case of Boward County Public Schools way down south in Florida way, uh, there not only seems to be questions about what exactly children are being taught, but the broader question of why is the district there working so hard to conceal it? Let's get some details now as we're joined by the founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute, 
Brad Dacus, counselor, is always great to have you with us. I understand that uh, initially Florida Citizens Alliance has been um, raising the clarion call here that there is some content in um, educational materials, <coughs> pardon me, in use in Boward County that um, may potentially be pornographic if only we could see. And um, you know, even uh, requests for freedom of information and uh, the the wish to use so-called sunshine laws to get information about what children are being taught um, are being consistently thwarted, which makes me feel as if when you work that hard to hide something, you must have something to hide. Oh, you're absolutely correct. Uh, and in fact, uh, this isn't a matter of some some parents or a parent group being impatient. Uh, we're talking here about months and months of delay and denial uh, by Broward County uh, Department of Education, and uh, and the you know this is uh, why Pacific Justice Institute was contacted, and why our attorney uh, Alex Blumbu uh, is is the attorney at our Miami office uh, who's uh, heading up this this uh, lawsuit uh, to force them. Uh, to allow parents to simply look at the curriculum uh, materials and other books and things that parents by law are entitled to look at. Uh, so it's, it's a shame we have to file this, but it's very telling uh, about uh, public education, particularly with public education uh, in the Miami area and Broward County. And the the um, the initial report, I would suppose, came through a parent who raised some questions. Why the stonewalling? Even with apparently uh, a number of attempts to go through the legal process and to request that uh, this information be made available. I mean, after all, it's in a public school attended by children who are part of the public, paid for by parents who are part of the public. So what is it about public that the district doesn't understand that they're not willing to um, reveal all of the details? My understanding was, at least here in California, any parent ought to be able to walk into a college or a university or a school and say, hey, I'm paying for this. I'd like to see what my children are being exposed to. Give me, uh, give me the details. I'd like to see the curricula. And I would think that uh, with pleasure any district would provide that information, but not in this case. What do you think is the real agenda here? Uh, well, it's, it's fairly obvious that, and we've seen this play out before, the strategy where uh, school districts, particularly in blue states, uh, but in this case it's a, a blue county, uh, that have uh, very radical uh, you know, agendas, uh, curriculums, whether it's dealing with sex or sexuality, um, challenging uh, the the beliefs of their family, or uh, whether it's or critical race theory, controversial uh, curricula really have nothing to do with education, but are part of an, an indoctrination process. Uh, these school districts and uh, academia uh, don't want it released because their attitude is simply this: that you know they know what's best, they know what's you know most progressive and most beneficial. Uh, and, you know, for for these children, and they don't want their backward parents, you know, with their backward thinking, uh, to interfere with, uh, you know, the, this this uh, trend and 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 uh, enlightenment that they wish to pour upon the children. Um, and I, I'm sort of trying to be not trying to be facetious, but this is sort of their their attitude. Uh, and so they don't have any any guilt issue here, as far as they're concerned, uh, because uh, they're just trying to keep. Uh, in their minds, probably uh, you know, ignorant or 
inferior or whatever, you know, however they want to word it, uh, parents uh, from getting in the way of their superior um, indoctrination agenda. Well, that just sounds wrong on so many levels. <laughs> it, it defies the imagination. I mean, you know, to, to begin with, I, I, fine, you know, the teachers go to school, they get a degree, they get a certificate, they have accomplished a level of understanding mm-hmm. that uh, permits them to be able to pass that knowledge on to others. Um, and, and, you know, maybe at the end of the day, when it comes to a teaching two plus two is four, there's no room for opinion there. It either is or it isn't. Uh, but when it comes to matters of of discretion related to um, personal mores, private thoughts, things of this sort, I, you know, it, it would just seem to me that at the end of the day, uh, some of these districts just way, way overreach their boundaries and, as you suggest, seem to take on the notion that they somehow know better and, therefore, the parents should just, you know, send your kid to school, let us handle the indoctrination, I mean the education, and that's sad. Yeah, it is, but I think people need to realize, particularly in the San Francisco Bay Area, that the kind of curriculum materials we're looking at here in Miami and what we suspect in you know, Broward County um, is probably well on par with what we see being implemented in California under the California Health Youth Act, um, and the, the school districts uh, in the San Francisco Bay Area, um, it's been very problematic for you know these school districts with parents contacting us about shocking information and diagrams and pictures and things being uh, exposed to, to the children. Uh, literature, which uh, is just paragraphs that are just uh, unrepeatable in public. Uh, we've seen these problems growing in, in, in California, but in particular, in, I would say in the San Francisco Bay Area, uh, school districts, uh, Los Angeles, LA Unified has been very problematic, and, you know, down in Los Angeles. Um, so I think people need to, when they hear this, they need to, needs to be a wake-up call for all parents across America uh, to uh, assume nothing with regards to public schools and hold them accountable and utilize their rights to review curriculum, and we at Pacific Justice Institute are there to do so without charge all the steps of the way. And, of course, the irony is this is not a new battle. I mean, I remember, and this is, boy, really going to date me, I remember some of the the school board uh, meetings that got pretty heated when parents started looking at the question of why certain school districts felt that Catcher in the Rye, uh, Salinger's book, was was appropriate for young minds, and uh, I guess that pales in comparison to much of the content today. But boy, that goes back to the uh, the nineteen fifty. Well, it probably wasn't used in classrooms in the nineteen fifties, but certainly by the nineteen seventies, it was widely used. So this this is not a new debate, but taking it to this level, both in terms of the the degree of of the offensiveness of the material. Complicated by the fact that that the the district authorities are being less than open when it comes to allowing parents to see it. I mean, I almost get the impression here, Counselor, that they're stonewalling, uh, making the information available to the public that paid for it for that very reason, because they're fearful that once the public who paid for it sees it, they're not going to be too happy. Uh, no, you're absolutely right, and, and many parents are pulling their kids out of public schools at record levels uh, over the last 12 months, uh, and we expect that to continue, particularly if there's 
uh, more stringent, um, you know, mask requirements or required vaccines uh, coming into play. That's in addition to the the radical sexuality um, material that's now being uh, implemented all the way down to the kindergarten level and, of course, critical race theory. So uh, I think that we're going to see more and more parents feel like their their trust has been breached, and um, some will will pull their kids out of schools. Uh, those that don't, I know many will, will stay and fight, and we at PJI are, are there to, to help both uh, do that. Uh, churches start homeschool co-ops and at the same time defend those parents who still have their kids and uh, wish to, uh, to stand up to this kind of outrageous uh, yeah, abuse of discretion by public educators. And here we thought it was just complicated because of COVID. Why, why, why? All right, Brian, there's Brad Dacus, president of the Pacific Justice Institute. More information available on the web at pacificjustice.org. That's pacificjustice.org. Well, it's 517 according to the clock on the table here, so that means we're going to get you a look at traffic right now. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, we're back. Not that we ever went anywhere. And at 521, uh, I want to shift gears here for a moment, if I might. We are going to work on getting uh, Bob Zadek to uh, join us here momentarily, if all goes as planned, and the creek don't rise. Although these days in the Bay Area, don't we wish the creek would rise? Wow, wow, wow. A couple of things. Um, First off, this will be an enormous sigh of relief, particularly for folks in the Bay Area. Uh, While it might not be the news that you were hoping for, it at least is a bit of a... uh, bit of a bridge here. Uh, There's been much concern about the fact that the moratorium on evictions expired at the end of July, and that essentially for the last, well, today's the third, three days, folks who are back on their, uh, or arrears on their rent payments were at risk of being evicted. And there are some folks Landlords that are eager to do same because they've been sitting here without payments and they're looking at the opportunity to essentially kick you out and get somebody else in your place that is paying. Well, um, while Congress has not yet acted, the CDC apparently has. They put out new eviction moratorium as the Delta variant of the coronavirus has been impacting communities across the nation. The order applies to counties experiencing high levels of community Transmission, So that would be at least seven of the nine Bay Area counties that ring the bay. And they are going to extend this moratorium on evictions through October the 3rd. So while that's not a lot of breathing room, at least it's a little bit and maybe an opportunity to, I don't know, negotiate with the landlord or um, hopefully get this thing uh, resolved here quickly. So again, um, no action from Congress yet, but the CDC says, no, 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 don't be so fast when it comes to the matter of evicting folks um, with the state of affairs related to the Delta variant in places like the San Francisco Bay region, other major population centers across the country. Uh, you've got some breathing room through October the 3rd. All right, let's get down to cases, shall we? We have seen, well, not just in the last election cycle, but, but, but really over the past many years, increasing concern and questions related to social media. This is everything from uh, Twitter, Facebook, um, Instagram, uh, whatever the uh, platform du jour happens to be. And the question of who gets access to it, 
who gets to control it, if controlled, by whom, and what does that control look like? And what are the responsibilities, both in terms of protecting freedom of speech, while at the same token, circumventing the possibility of using these platforms for illegal activities, committing acts of crimes, uh, certainly the questions related to things like, well, um, if censorship is permissible, who's doing the censoring and what's being censored and who controls all that? Some have argued that there are similarities between uh, the levels of regulation that exist, for example, with public utilities like the telephone company or newspapers. And while some have argued it's like one or like the other, maybe the truth is somewhere in the middle. Maybe they're a little bit like both. At the end of the day, how do we grapple with the questions of should social media censor anything? And if so... What so, how so, and by whom? To help unpack all these questions, we turn to our resident constitutional expert. He is the host of the longest-running libertarian talk show in America today. Smart fellow, one of the best minds when it comes to understanding not just our Constitution, but the historicity of same. He is Bob Zadek. He is the host of the Bob Zadek Show, cleverly enough, (laughs) broadcast here in the San Francisco Bay region each Sunday morning at 8 a.m. on 860 a.m. The Answer, our sister station. And uh, Bob, is always a privilege and an honor to spend some time with you. Oh, Craig, it's so nice to be back on your show. Thank you so much for inviting me. I miss being with you. Well, likewise, and been a little busy around here, as I know you know, and uh, things are starting to settle back into a little uh, little bit of a routine here. So we thought, by golly, it's, it's high time to get connected again, because there's so many issues that are, are top of minds for so many Americans. And the debate, be it around the, the well, I will say the water cooler at the office, but I guess we can't do that now because we need to have social distancing again. But, but the debate that's raging related to responsibility, accountability on all sides when it comes to social media. And I know that for as many people that say, you know, Facebook, Twitter, they've got to do a better job. Others say, hang on, not quite so fast when it comes to the censorship stick, because, uh, you know, that's that same stick that might be used to keep some in line can be used to beat others up. So let's talk about this. These broader questions, first off, when we hear comments about the fact that uh, Google's not, I'm sorry, that, that Facebook is not doing enough or Twitter is not doing enough. I, I have to wonder, in, in the broad perspective, whether or not, from a constitutional standpoint, they're even, even in a position to do so. That's a great question, Craig. We would have to take over the network at gunpoint and not let anybody change the dial for about 90 days <laughs> so we could cover this in detail. But to try to squeeze it in the too little time allotted. This is a fascinating question. It's even fascinating when you introduce the topic. The topic is, and the phrase you use more than once, is social media. Craig, you and I remember when media referred to Walter Cronkite. That was media. Uh, and, uh, and it was the perhaps, the, or definitely the New York Times. Media was a few corporations that owned newspapers, radio stations, or television stations. That was media. That was it. Now, media 
things, as you know, includes this broadcast you and I are now doing and everything in between. It media includes some teenager in the Midwest posting photos on Instagram. That's media. That's the same word that one describes CNN. One describes that teenager on Instagram. So look what has happened. So when we had concepts and when we tried to apply the Constitution to media, we are now applying the same document that we used to apply to CBS and the New York Times. Now we are applying it to some human being sitting alone on Facebook. We're trying to apply the same rules to both. Or should we? After all, we use the word media to apply to both. So here we are, and as a lawyer, this is fascinating because the law is always breathlessly trying to catch up with technology, and it never gets there. Technology moves faster. Therefore, we are applying yesterday's law to today's facts on the ground. And that's why you and I are spending an evening together tonight. So, and you framed the issue perfectly, because we have, as we all know, a complement of the Constitution and the First Amendment. We have something we all know by its nickname, freedom of the press, which means no government can interfere with anything the press publishes. We cannot have what's called prior restraint. You cannot prevent something from being published because from the founders on through today, people simply don't trust the government to objectively censor the media. We need the media, the fourth estate, in order to keep an eye on government and tell us what's going on. So that's the starting point. And now we are trying to apply those principles to a privately held corporation, Mark Zuckerberg's baby, Facebook, and its competitors. We are trying to apply those same principles. And here we are stuck, not yet deciding whether we should treat Facebook as we treat the New York Times and allow the New York Times to publish whatever it wants, to refuse to accept a letter to the editor or an op-ed piece or to publish it. The New York Times is permitted to do whatever it wants. Or do we apply the standards of, as you said in your introduction, the telephone company? Nobody complains if, and there's no such thing as a telephone company anymore, of course, but we have to go back to when there was one, uh, when there was a telephone company, nobody complained if there was obscenity or scheming or criminal enterprise being done over telephone lines. Nobody said the phone company should stop it. The phone company was not required to edit who uses its platform. Well, should therefore, should Facebook, Facebook not be allowed to edit who uses its platform, or is Facebook more like the New York Times, uh, uh, and it can allow or not allow commentary as it wishes? That's the challenge 
that we are trying to, to distill today, that's the challenge every citizen has, because the citizens don't seem to have speak with one voice on what should be the law, and for sure, Congress doesn't know what the heck the law should be, and they're trying to sort it all out. This is about as interesting a policy issue as one can find. And to make it even more sexy, this is important. This, if you believe it, influences elections, which means impacts on the operation of democracy. It affects everything about life in America, and we don't know what the heck to do about it. It's a fascinating topic, Craig. And, and it seems as if, to kind of break this down, because there's so many layers like the proverbial onion here, but it seems as if you know a, a couple of the fundamental questions lie in, could a private company prohibit or control speech? And then from there, once making that determination, then the question becomes, should it? Now, on the could equation, and I've had some fascinating conversations with friends about, you know, uh, the notion that, well, Facebook should not be doing this. They should not be restricting freedom of speech. I should be able to hop on that platform and say whatever I want, whenever I want. And I said, let me stop you right there, because private companies have controlled speech for time and memoriam. Don't believe me? Write a letter to the editor and see if you use certain language whether or not they choose to censor that letter by not publishing it. Or go on a talk show and see if you come on this program and start saying crazy things if I don't turn around and gesture at my engineer and cut you off. Private enterprise has always exercised some degree of call it editorial control, others want to call it censorship, that's gone on for time and memoriam. And maybe one of the most important lessons is to first understand exactly what the Constitution means. When I read Article 1, it says, and I quote, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging freedom of speech or the press or the right of people to peaceably assemble, etc., etc. But the operative word there, Bob, seems to be Congress. So it, it would seem to me that fundamentally the, the, the core question of whether or not Facebook could engage in censorship, it would seem to me, based on the way I read that or apply that, uh, that, that Article One of the Constitution, that yes, they absolutely could because they're not Congress. Am I right? But that's exactly correct. When you said operative word, I focused on a different word. I found the operative word to be press. Now, uh, press, we all think of the printing press, but now more broadly to broadcast media uh, as technology went beyond the printing press. But remember, in, uh, in colonial times, in pre-colonial England, there only was one media, the printing press. And from the Middle Ages, when the printing press was invented, Craig, all of a sudden the church lost control of the mind of the citizenry. Because before the printing press, the only way, the only manufacturer of books was the church, who had monks uh, and uh, men and women of the cloth writing books longhand one at a time. The church controlled all the media, because the media was only the press. When the printing press was invited, 
was invented, and all of a sudden, the establishment, the church, loses control of the media, the written word, the next thing that government did in the Middle Ages was license the printing press. You could not operate a printing press without permission because government was going to lose control of the conversation. So there has been this tension between the press, think printing press, between the press and establishment, the church or government. That tension has existed for a thousand years. And we experience today, it's that who controls the information the public gets. Now, as to Facebook, there's two, when you say should, which is a word you used, should is used, in my view, in two contexts. Number one, what does the law tell us? Number two, put aside the law, which kind of a country should we live in, where Facebook is permitted through its 1.5 billion users to have the control over everything that people learn about on Facebook, should Facebook have that power merely because it's a private company? Or is there a compelling policy reason why we don't want Facebook for policy reasons? Forget what the Constitution says. How do we feel as citizens? Do we want Facebook to have that power, or should the law be that Facebook must not censor anything like a telephone, and should Facebook be compelled to accept and make available every single thought that any user wants to publish, and let the members of Facebook decide through their own personal filter what they will allow to appear on their homepage? That's the question that we haven't begun to examine as citizens, and I don't think anybody, everybody has an opinion, but nobody can be confident their opinion is right, because you don't know what will happen to the country if your opinion prevails. It's all an experiment, and that's something each citizen has to decide. Should the power be allowed to be concentrated in a corporation simply because it is not government, or should it be subject to some controls because the greater good of society requires it? That's the conversation that shows like yours tonight will invite people to think about, to talk about amongst their friends, because I don't know what this country will decide collectively. You know, what's fascinating about this dialogue is the fact that the, the the argument so far has not centered on whether or not censorship should take place, but rather who should do the censoring. And by that I mean uh, we can we can say to a Facebook, here is a list of community guidelines and standards that we've kind of all collectively agreed upon, what you can and cannot print, what is permissible and what is not. And you handle serving as the traffic cop that, that decides what, what's allowed and what isn't versus self-censorship where everything gets put up. Uh, 
and maybe I have parameters within my profile that tell me what kind of feeds I will accept and others that I won't, or even the notion of just simply saying if I see certain pieces coming from certain sources or on certain topics, I choose to ignore them or not to read them. And of course, there the risk always is, um, on one hand, a third party is making choices for me. On another hand, I've got more control by doing my own censorship. But what if I censor the wrong thing? What if there's information out there that is really urgent that I be exposed to, and yet because of the choices that I've made, I choose not to digest that material, and therefore suddenly I don't know that, oh, by the way, the Russians are about to drop a nuclear bomb because I've told Facebook, don't send me anything that has the word Russia in it. Greg, you left out a choice, and that is that nobody censors that the rule, and I'm disclosing my own bias, in my view, the government should not censor, and the law should be that Facebook, while in general it has control over the operation of its business, it is not allowed for policy reasons to censor anything, that that should be the rule, and you said it perfectly. Individuals will censor, um, although that's not censorship, and Craig, you censor every minute of your life. You decide who you will talk to, you decide what you will read, what you will watch. You censor all the time. You make decisions what you want to let into your brain and what you want to forbid from entering your brain. You are competent to do it, and you will accept the consequences. The only censorship should be individual. That, to me, I've disclosed my own bias in this conversation, but that, to me, is the only answer that punches, that punches all the buttons in my standards for society. Yeah, and with the sole exception of maybe children of a certain age and material and content yeah, that may be, you know, on on the the uh, the edge of being offensive. Aside from that, you know, uh, maybe the, one of the bigger equations here is who do we trust more? And at the end of the day, you and I are definitely on the the same side of the table on that topic. And that is that given a choice between some nameless, faceless bureaucrat or uh, geek sitting behind a computer monitor in Palo Alto deciding what I can and cannot expose myself to or read or or uh, you know uh, learn about uh, I would much rather make those choices for myself on the belief that I have a level of understanding and education where I ought to be able to know the difference and also and here's where it gets complicated do enough homework to be able to decide for myself what passes the sniff test meaning what items seem to ring true and which ones don't by consuming a lot of information from many sources and being able to bounce ideas off of other ideas and balance these things out. I mean, in, an, in a mature society, adults should have the privilege to be able to do that. But we're in a time right now that seems to suggest that, no, maybe another adult needs to do that for us. And the kind of dangers that we enter into, and I want to talk about this a bit more when we come back, even the notion of putting the health of the very country at stake or the future of this country at stake because I've got to believe that a level when the framers of our constitution were considering this whole equation of freedom of the press freedom of speech etc it wasn't just simply a matter of protecting individual rights there but also understanding that some of these very same components were vital 
toward protecting the independence of the nation and therefore the independence of individual citizens within that nation. So when we start talking about censorship and in one fashion or another, quote unquote, abridging the freedom of the press, (coughs) understanding that it's a much broader definition today than it was when the founding fathers were around, do we run the risk of having very democracy itself at in play here if there's not freedom of the press to, quite frankly, keep some of the scallywags in line by exposing what they're doing. We'll talk about that and more. Bob Zadek with us tonight. He, of course, is the host of the most popular and longest-running libertarian talk show in the country. It's the Bob Zadek Show, heard locally in the San Francisco Bay Area every Sunday morning at 8 a.m. It is must-tune-in radio, so be sure to check that out Sunday mornings, 8 a.m., on our sister station, 860 AM, The Answer. Information, by the way, resources, tools, books that Bob has written, details about recent guests, podcasts, the whole bevy available to you at bobzadek.com. That's bobzadek.com, B-O-B-Z-A-D-E-K.com. A timeout, back with more after this. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Fascinatingly enough, we find topics that take three or four days to really adequately unpack. And then we invite a genius like Bob Zadok on and say, break it down for us in 10 minutes. <laughs> We've made that mistake yet once again. So this is gonna, they're going to have to be a part two, maybe even a part three, quite click quickly to this discussion because it's so critically important to this nation and not only to uh, the protection of individual rights of freedom as it comes to expression, but perhaps in a broader scale, um, even critical to the survival of the Union. And uh, as we move into our uh, dialogue again with um, author and syndicated talk show host Bob Zadek, um, Bob, what of this idea? I I know that the Founding Fathers saw a bigger picture here, and and clearly part of that, in my mind, has to include the notion that the importance of protecting freedom of speech and freedom of the press was not just simply for um, uh, individual rights, but isn't there a component of of this which becomes vitally important for not just the health of the Union, but the survival of same? Oh, of course it is. And the founders knew that. The founders put all their faith in human intellect and human consciousness. And if, if there's one, if there's one principle that dominates the Bill of Rights and the Constitution, it is freedom of conscience. Um, it is in the First Amendment. You can worship the way you wish. You can say whatever you wish to say. So uh, you can behave totally the way your own intellect dictates, so long as such behavior does not deprive somebody else of the same uh, freedoms. That's the rule. Now, as to the issue of censorship, and we're doing, we're going to use the word you used in our last segment, the word should. Uh, Putting aside for the moment, we'll come back to it, but putting aside uh, the reading, how does the Constitution fit into all of this? Uh, And as you know from my prior appearances, I have a profound respect for uh, the 
private principle of private property, government cannot and should not interfere with how I use my property, which I have lawfully acquired. I start there. But of course, even today, we recognize that there is a role for government to regulate how you use your your property, and you cannot use it in a way that harms somebody else. You can't cause what's called a nuisance. Um, so there are you have to. There are zoning rules which are constitutional that tell you how you could use and what you could put on your property. So we are comfortable having government, to some limited extent, for the public good, dictate how you use private property. Now let's apply that to this, this afternoon's conversation. If the government were to dictate to the New York Times, use that as an example, uh, you have to carry everybody's op-ed piece. It doesn't work. They don't have enough paper. They'd be printing a newspaper or providing it online that would go on forever, and it would not be useful to anybody. So the government makes a decision that the New York Times can regulate what appears in the limited resource of, remember, it was historically a paper paper. But as to Facebook, to require Facebook to not censor, which means to carry every opinion, that's at no cost to Facebook. It doesn't cost Facebook any more to publish my views than not to publish my views. Therefore, to require Facebook or to prohibit them from censoring, it doesn't cost Facebook anything. And if Facebook is worried about it impairs their product, people will not use their product if there is unpleasant language. Well, you put the power to censor, as you said, in each user's hands so that I could filter words I don't want to see in my Facebook page or points of view. I could filter it any way that I want. So Facebook's product is unimpaired. And I dare say private property is respected because Facebook hasn't been harmed by prohibiting its censorship. It hasn't been harmed one bit. The users have not been harmed because they can modify what they receive the way I can by changing channels on my TV set. I can censor who, which TV programs are not going to be in my home. So everybody wins. The individual gets power. Facebook's product is not impaired. And most importantly, we don't put, put censorship powers in private hands. So, and uh, scholars are quite, many scholars are quite comfortable that that, that proposal will pass constitutional muster because we do it now. We have a concept called common carrier. Common carrier is like the bus lines. Um, it's, it's private buses. It's private, it's private train lines are common carriers. Uh, the telephone was a common carrier. Common carrier means they offer their service to the entire public where anybody who can pay can use it. If you simply determine under existing law, under existing law that Facebook is a common carrier, there it passes constitutional muster it's just like the telephone you don't have to do constitutional uh, machinations to get there everybody wins so i find although it's a fascinating topic there is a solution where constitutional principles get respected the country is better off individuals are empowered 
to select what they're going to watch. And Facebook continues to make money with what the world has determined to be a valuable product. And perhaps at the end of the day, Bob, the, the big part of this dialogue that, that has not really been engaged in at the level nationally that it should be, and, and, and hopefully maybe conversations like ours today will help push it in that direction. But, you know, back in the 90s, the uh, producers of television sets all got together, and in response to concerns about growing violence on television, Created what was called the V-chip, V standing for violence, and it allowed parents to use a built-in rating system to each program to select which programs would appear on a television set and which would not, so you could therefore essentially censor content that had extreme violence or sexuality in it from your children being exposed to same. Maybe we need to talk about a similar idea where, again, in the preferences, you can set up within your account what you'd like to be exposed to, what you do not wish to be exposed to, that empowers you to be able to control what you might find offensive and at the same token, protects the ability of the platform to disseminate information to those that do not do want to consume it, and ultimately, as you point out, helps to preserve the integrity of our Constitution and the very ideals that the Founding Fathers enshrined in it. Bob Zadek, host of the Bob Zadek Show. Want more? Bob goes deeper on these topics each and every Sunday morning at 8 a.m. It is must-hear radio. We invite you to tune in. Sunday at 8 a.m. to the Bob Zadek Show. Again, that's heard locally here in the San Francisco Bay Area on 860 a.m. The Answer. And you can get more information by going to bobzadek.com for more details. That's B-O-B-Z-A-D-E-K.com. And as always, privileged to have Bob with us on this edition of Lifeline. 601, let's get a look at traffic for you right now from the KFAX Traffic Center. 